Hello friends, thank you for joining us today. Hey, we've got a lot going on here at Christ Community Church, and so if you wanna get connected, we would love for you to go over to our website, uh, check out our events page, there's yeah. lots of stuff that's happening, different ways that you can get connected in groups. Um, also make sure to like and subscribe so you know when more content comes out, um, and enjoy the message. All right, everyone, you can have a seat. I'm excited for us to be here today. It's Saturday and things are going to be fun. Um, for everyone who thinks that's important to understand the point of a sermon before it happens, our, our church is doing a sermon series called Sent. And um, it's all about being sent as the church, inspired by how God sent his son, Jesus. Um, however, um, the fun of doing a sermon is the, the, the artistic parts, the poetic parts, the, the things you don't expect and the surprises. And so, so for everyone who has to hear, here's the point. The point is being sent, how to be sent, and it's the fourth part of our sermon series. And so if by the end it's like, I don't understand it, well, it's the fourth part. It isn't a standalone. Go back and play the other ones, and they all hinge upon each other, hold hands, and it'll be great. So, however, I've gotten to understand the things I'm, I'm really good at and the things I'm really bad at. Um, and, and some of the things that I'm really good at is I can see a bigger picture of things and I enjoy um, just, just drawing the con connections between the dots. I see all the dots, the dots that are out there. And, and that's like a gift that I think that I have as I connect the dots of everything. In high school, I played Football. I actually played high school. Uh, I played football since the age of five, um, and I I played all the way through high school. And the superpower I had in playing football is I I could see all the plays that all the positions were supposed to play at any given time. Um, every summer that the playbook came out. I, I, I would study the playbook for every position on the field and I would memorize it. I would know what everyone was supposed to be doing because if I understood what everyone was supposed to be doing, then I would understand the game, how it was supposed to be played and I could do a great job in the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm bringing up this idea of playing football in high school because that's the only time that I feel like I had been sent and in fact, I actually heard the coach say, it's time to send KJ. That's the only time I've ever heard that. It is time to send KJ. You have been sent. And that is like this really powerful statement to feel like someone is planning on sending you. It is time to send KJ. Why? I I played high school football at this particular time that the head coach of our varsity team said it was time to send KJ. I was a freshman um, playing junior varsity. I'm standing on the sidelines for our varsity team and our fullback got hurt. The secondary fullback got hurt. I played a Guard, I played center, I played tackle, but I memorized the entire playbook. And our coach saw this from the beginning of time. I was someone who would connect the dots of how to play the game. No one else had played fullback, including me. 
I have never played fullback. In fact, I'm a guard, I'm a tackle, I'm a center. I don't really do anything, right? That's what people up there do. They don't do anything. They, they prepare the path for someone else to take the ball and go up beside them. I got really good at that. I got really good at preparing the path for someone else to take the ball and get the job done. That's what guard centers and tackles do. They prepare the path for someone else to get the job done. But our fullback got hurt. The secondary fullback got hurt. And I was the only one on our team who had the fullback plays in my mind. I knew how to play fullback. I studied it. And so the varsity coach said, it's time to send KJ. Have you ever felt ill-equipped to get the job done? I was 14, just hit puberty-ish, right? The guys on the other team had beards. Like they're 18, like they're 18 year olds playing varsity football. Have you ever felt ill-equipped to pick up the ball? Especially if you've never held a ball. Especially if the thing you've become an expert on is preparing the path for someone else to take the ball. That is probably how the disciples of Jesus felt. Well, I'm already crying. It's gonna be fun. Um, that's probably how the disciples of Jesus felt whenever Jesus told them in John 20, 21, I am sending you as the Father has sent me. Okay, so that's, that's pretty easy to kind of like, okay, I'm being, I'm being sent, you know, I'm, I'm going to evangelize. I'm going to do what the church does. But I'm just going to pose the argument that the church hasn't really done a great job yet, right? So I, I want to just go back to the simplicity of this passage. I am sending you as the Father has sent me. How has the Father sent Jesus, right? How has the Father sent Jesus? Well, well, first off, um, he sent Jesus because he saw his, his people, right? So, so he, he gave him the perspective to see people. He gave them the, and then he pursued them. He was born incarnate on earth. God, perfect in heaven, is born in human skin, flesh, bone, all that stuff. And he moved here. He came into our space. Um, and th then he had this like huge tie of like hearing spirit, hearing God. He is God. What? They're really close together and they're doing this together. So, so he saw us, he pursued us, he, he came here, and then he was attentive to the things that he was meant to do for people. Well, I also think that's pretty complex. From the simplicity of how did God send Jesus? Because there's something that happened in the sending process especially this idea of being sent, that it would be, be easy to say, I'm being sent with the gifts and talents and the things that I had. But for Jesus to come here, all of his gifts and talents were gone. But like he is God. And then all of a sudden he's in flesh and bone and poor and broke and crying and in a, a baby diaper 
right? And so if this idea of being sent with power and authority and gifts and talent, like, man, there's something else that happened in this space of being sent. There was this idea of Jesus was sent to be here. That's a really big thing. He was sent to be incarnate. That's a really big thing. What does that mean? So there's this passage in the book of, of uh, Philippians that the Apostle Paul kind of, kind of picks this apart. Here it is. Uh, help me out. <laughs> Who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." So, so that is how the father sent his son, and then his son says, how I was sent, I'm sending you. That's really cool. There's this idea that, that you're not being sent to like be the iron fist or to proclaim like, mm. it's like you're being sent how I had been sent. I was born into this right? I was sent to be here in proximity to human beings because of a, there was a separate space and the separate space is not okay. And then there's this idea of I am in tune to the Father and the things that he is saying, I am saying, and the things he's doing, I am doing, and you will do the same things. And then all of a sudden, this idea of being sent how he was sent becomes really cool because you saw how he was sent you saw the kingdom he brought because that's what happened. He brought the kingdom of heaven and he slammed it on the earth. Like in the idea of being incarnate, he brought his home, right? There's something really cool that's happening here. And this idea of being incarnate, this practice of presence, bringing what you have and offering it to the place you are has been a part of Hebrew culture for a really, really long time. So of course God is going to send his son to be incarnate because this is what he does. In fact, there's this very cool mm, happening in the book of Jeremiah. Um, our favorite passage in the book of Jeremiah that a lot of people in the church have that they often quote and they'll post it up. It's like the, the for I know the great plans I have for you to prosper, right? That's like this power passage that is posted up and it's like our favorite passage. That's the favorite passage I have, I don't know. Anyway, there's a huge passage that comes before that. This, this huge passage that comes before, I see you, I have plans for you, and you are going to be awesome. And so the passage I want to bring here to this place is the passage that comes before that. Because it sets it up like an altar that, that our favorite passage you can just like hang out on. Right? So, so here's the context of Jeremiah. Maya 29. Thank you. That was really good. So the Hebrew people just got conquered by Babylon. 
that they're always getting conquered by somebody else. And they're people that, that, that they are getting conquered by are typically very evil people. And this time in Jeremiah chapter 29, they happen to get conquered by Babylon. Babylon to the Hebrew people is the antithesis of who they are. It is like hell, right? It, it, it is like the opposite of who God is telling them to be. You have the Hebrew people and you have Babylon. Everybody talks about Babylon. Babylon as being the antithesis of the heart of God. And the Hebrew people just got conquered by Babylon. And if you are a conquering country, the thing you're going to do is you're going to take the people that you conquer and you're going to bring them home. And then you're going to scatter them so that they assimilate into you. And so that's what Babylon did. Did. They conquered the Hebrew people, they brought the Hebrew people home, and then they scattered them and turned them into slaves because the goal is that they're going to assimilate into Babylon. And so typically, there's a lot of fear for the country that was conquered because you try to stay true to who you are. You know, you don't want to assimilate, you don't want to assimilate, you don't want to assimilate. And so for the Hebrew people, they also have this posture. You don't want to assimilate. We're conquered by Babylon. And Babylon, again, is the antithesis of the Hebrew people. If the Hebrew people is a vibrant, thriving oasis, it's a garden of joy, hope, and promise, Babylon is poured concrete all over it. Okay, like that's what it is. It's, they are pouring concrete all over the place. It's hot, it's dry, it's gross. And they are going forward, plowing over the hopes and dreams of the Hebrew people. They're evil. So that's the context that this passage is taking place in. The Hebrew people are just being conquered. They're brought in. They're scattered all over Babylon. They're crying out to God, do you see us? And God sends the prophet Jeremiah to talk to the Hebrew people who are slaves in hell. Here's the thing he says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. Do not decrease. Also seek peace and prosperity for the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Okay, this is a tough one. It should be a tough one. The Hebrew people are scattered over Babylon. The Hebrew people are brought into a place that they don't see the end of the tunnel at all. There is no hope here. And God sends a prophet and says, plant your gardens here. 
He says, extend your families here. He says, be incarnate here. He says, don't decrease, don't shrink, increase here. Pray here, pray for peace here, pray for prosperity here. Pray for the prosperity of Babylon, yep. How does that work? I don't know, but that's what it says. It's almost like how Jesus had been sent here praying for the prosperity of his people, praying for the health of the disciples, praying for going out and healing the enemy. What? I mean, like, like think about this passage. They're conquered. They're enslaved. They're in a place that they don't belong. This is not our home. We are exiles. And he says, I carried you here. The Babylon didn't carry you here. I carried you here. Plant your gardens here. Pray for peace here. Expand here. Have influence here. Because if they prosper, so do you. What does this look like? Because, I, I, I mean, like, I'm dead serious. This is really hard. This is a hard passage. If I'm in a context that I don't agree with the culture, I don't agree with the politic, I pray for a downfall, right? I pray for things to burn. God says, no, you pray for prosperity. You pray for peace. You pray my heart for them. Because if they actually succeed, so do you. What does this look like? So there are some themes here that are for us that I think are very important. First of all is this idea of being incarnate. This is what we're going back to and circling because the incarnate heart of Christ is the only gift he brought But this idea of being present was everything that gave the ability for all the other gifts to take place. This whole theme of today is about how to use the things you have to bring prosperity and hope and to preach the gospel to others, to be sent as he had been sent. And he was sent to be present here in our place. There's a couple themes here that I, I'm just dying to unpack and to talk about. First of all, they are brought to Babylon. They are scattered out. They have no hope. And they're calling out to God, do you see us? And, they, and God sends a prophet and he says, I brought you here. First of all, that's awesome, right? It didn't happen by accident that the Hebrew people, God's children are in Babylon for great purpose, He has brought them there for purpose. He has brought them into a place they do not belong. Then he says, plant your gardens here. Okay, so first of all, the Hebrew people are very agricultural. They're awesome at it. And the idea of planting a garden says, I'm planning to be here until this garden bears fruit. It's that's happening. I'm going to own the fact that I'm going to be here for a super long time. Also, there is a poetic theme anytime in the Bible that this idea of planting a garden takes place. It brings us back to the call of the Hebrew people from the beginning to be gardeners. 
The idea of going back home and fighting Eden again is the drumbeat that causes the Hebrew people to go forward from then until the end of time. They believe Eden is coming back and they call it the garden. And they believe by the, by the idea of being present that they are planting seeds of the garden. They believe that by following Torah that they are planting seeds of the garden. Yes, I believe that God is telling them to plant their gardens in Babylon. I believe that God's telling them to plant their physical gardens in Babylon. But if I am a Jewish person hearing God say, plant your gardens here, I'm thinking the kingdom is going to crash into earth here. I am planting the seeds of Eden in Babylon. There's a bigger theme happening and all of a sudden everything starts to shimmer through the prophet. If I can plant here, if I can see the value in Babylon, if I can, can see the value in the captors or the people I say I don't belong around, if I can see them how God sees them, if I can see this place I've been sent to, if I can practice being here instead of hoping to be someplace else. Exiles have a purpose in their new home. And there's this idea of God saying, plant your garden here. What would it be like for us to value our places that we are in to the point that's like, I am going to plant here. And the things I do are the seeds of Eden. It could be a really cool perspective. Then he goes on and talks about this idea of family. As a father, I am someone who is very overprotective of the family that I have. I'm protective of everything, and I want them to be perfect. That is the downfall of parents. They, they have a desire for their kids to be perfect, and they're protective of their children, especially if you are a Jewish family, if you are a Jewish father, if you are a Jewish parent, you are so overprotective of your children. In this passage, God is saying, let them have husbands who are from Babylon. Let them have wives that are from Babylon. Increase. I just got goosebumps because this is really difficult for me because there's this fear that I have as a human being that I have to protect the kids that I have or they're going to turn into everybody else. I have this fear. If they're exposed to things, they're going to be turning into everybody else. And the kids I have aren't everybody else. They're my kids. That's how God feels about his children in Babylon. And he doesn't have the fear that they're going to be everybody else. The Hebrew people, again, they're scattered out. Don't assimilate, don't assimilate. He's saying, you can't assimilate. You assimilate them. You increase, you don't decrease. If you are around them and you are popping up, the darkness can't hide the light. So shine, be you, bring it, plant your gardens. You will prosper. You will show them the truth. You will, 
Do you see there's a different perspective that's the opposite of a fearful perspective of protection? And they, this is incarnational. God came down in human form. He was the only one being sent in a dark earth. He brought his home. He brought his kingdom. It shone. He brought his gospel and now everyone's proclaiming it. He did not assimilate. He's assimilating us, right? You know, it's like that whole idea. So this idea of there is no fear, go and be. You know the authority you have. You know the family you have. You know who you are. Go for it. Incredible. Then he brings in this theme, this theme of praying, as if prayer actually is something valuable, okay? So some people put prayer on the bottom of the priority scale as things that you have to offer. But as far as the kingdom of God goes, prayer is like one of the most powerful things. Prayer is one of the most powerful things someone can do. And it's one of the most powerful things a church can do. And it's the most powerful thing that the capital C church can do. The earth trembles whenever thousands of people are praying the same thing for the kingdom of heaven to crash into earth. It's a really incredible thing. And so for all the Hebrew people that are scattered all over Babylon to be praying the same thing, praying for peace, pray for peace. First of all, plant your gardens here. Increase, pray for peace. And if they prosper, so do you. And there's this perspective that's really, really different. Well, how does that apply to us today in this idea of being sent? Going back to Jesus being incarnate, sent from heaven, the Hebrew people, this idea of being incarnate, sent into Babylon. There's a perspective that you really hold great purpose to plant your gardens where you are, bring what you have. I have a friend here at our church um, who she has been going here forever. And she sells homes. And, um, and Fran, she isn't just someone who sells homes. She sells homes. Like she gets to understand who her people are, their hearts, there's like home as God understands home. And Fran Burns came to this place that she had a desire to take the gifts and the talents and the perspectives and the idea of home that she was given from her job and how to apply it to her city. She was planning a garden here. So our church has prepared a video of her, her story that's incredible. So here it is. Hi, I'm Fran Burns. I've been going to Christ Community since 1987, and I'm a realtor. I was attending um, a service, and the message was how to bring Jesus into your daily business life. And it kind of convicted me that maybe I needed to do a little bit more. So I was out doing my prayer walk in my neighborhood, and I walked up to Fair Acres Nursing Home. And it just came to me very clearly 
there are a lot of lonely people in that nursing home. And I just walked myself right into the front door and I asked to see the, uh, the director. And I told him, I said, I have, I have a feeling that we have a lot of neglected, lonely people here. So what does Christmas look like? And he said, well, it's a little sad. So I said, well, I have, a, I have my own business and I have a partner who also uh, is a believer and um, our business will put together a program that will provide Christmas gifts for everyone here. And so there are a uh, hundred residents at this nursing home and they faithfully send me a list with names and then not only me, but all of the agents with whom I work. And one agent in particular has been with me since day one and we send them out to our, to our client base. And the letter says, call this number, tell us whom you've chosen, because we don't want someone to be sitting there without a gift. We provide 300 gifts each and every Christmas to the people at Fair Acres. This, by the way, was our 29th year. Fair Acres is a privately owned nursing home, and it's one of the, I think, I think it's the only one in Greeley. So that's one of the reasons that I think God pointed me right at them is because they don't have the resources that the corporate companies have. They have no idea what our names are. They don't much care, even when they're right there with us, but they talk about it all year. They'll say, there's some company who, who comes in here and buys us Christmas presents. When we come and, and, when, and uh, when we're just there, they become more aware. There's a lot of dementia but they do, they do respond to us. The agents love it. They love to go. They love to be part of that. You know, they look forward to it. And they'll take us to their rooms, show us their things. You know, there's a good interaction. Sometimes they'll ask for us to pray with them. There's a lot of prayer in, in the facility, actually. I'm sure it brings back their life. There's a lot, a lot of lonely people who need to be touched with the love of Christ. Oh, that's cool. Good job, friend. Um, there is um, there's this very fun part of being a part of the 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 the, the kingdom of God, to be a part of the children of God. And it's, it's, it's people are hungry for the thing that you have. But I can't tell you the things that, that, that you have. I, I, and sometimes the things that, that you have are just very, very temporary. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. But you have this perspective to offer it. For instance, earlier, I was holding a box of crumbled cookies that had been been out here and I was outside bringing crumbled cookies into the church and then Amazon driver came by and he pulled over and I was like do you want a crumbled cookie and he said absolutely the crumble cookies aren't even mine and I'm giving it away and they're technically from the church. And, and it was fun. I was like, I got to participate in giving away crumbled cookies. They're not even mine. They're actually yours. Um, so thank you. Um, 
Why is it to have this perspective of I am going to give the things that I have and have this perspective of being present and seeing people and participate in this idea of bringing hope, love, joy, and peace? Because as Fran understands, the thing of offering a Christmas present is the thing that the earth is dying for. And Christmas is all about the Advent season, peace, love, joy, and hope. And it doesn't have to be the whole gospel being thrown at people. Sometimes it's just a crumble cookie because those are the seeds of the Garden of Eden being planted. And this is the drumbeat that keeps us going forward and says, we have value, we have hope, and we are sent. A crumble cookie is something that's very physical. It's a physical, tangible thing. There are other things that aren't, that don't have to be so physical. The gift of hospitality. For instance, like think about this. So, so everyone talks about hospitality as being so important. You need to be hospital as, as Jesus practiced hospitality. He didn't have a home. How did Jesus practice hospitality? He, had, he didn't have any food. He did not have a home. He did not invite people over. In fact, he invited himself over. In the story of being incarnate to the, the earth, he brought his kingdom to our house. He showed hospitality. In the story of Zacchaeus, who was showing hospitality? Who invited who? He was incarnate in the house of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, right? It was Zacchaeus who was honored by the hospitality of Jesus to say, I will spend time with you and I will bring all of me. He did the same thing to Zacchaeus that he did to the earth and he brought himself. And in that, he brought his full presence. Some of us, the gift of just being present around a lonely, hurting people is the biggest gift that you can do to plant the seeds of Eden. The idea of being present is gigantic because in the idea of being present, you get to see people in the things they need. You can't give something something of value until you get to see what's valuable to them. And the odds are, if you are sitting in the presence of other people, that the things you have are exceedingly valuable to them. For other people, just the idea of prayer, the big idea of prayer, someone to sit by you and to hear the things that are going on, the idea of saying, I will pray for you, and you actually pray for them. What a concept, right? Like those times that you're like, you hear something that someone is going through and then you say, I promise to pray for you. And then you follow up and you say, I've been praying for you. And here's what I've been hearing God say. Here's the feeling. Should I continue to pray? How's it going? That is the biggest gift for some people. 
But there are other gifts of inviting people over, taking people out to eat, a prepared food, like for people that don't get food prepared for them that often is a huge gift. But to offer your gifts, you have to see people. And the odds are you are really rich and abundant with the things that you have because the gospel dwells inside of you. There's this theme in Hebrew culture of agriculture that we are farmers planting seeds every place we go. Some of the seeds will fall on the bad soil, good soil, but some of the seeds will probably, like, that's where it comes from. We are farmers planting. But it's fun to do the thing that you were called to do. This is our calling. It's very hard to see at times the things that you were programmed for. So for instance, had I been built to be a full back on that high school football team? No, I was tiny. I was slow. That the only value I had to playing fullback had been I could see all the plays in the playbook for every player on the team 100% of the time. On the field, there are 22 players on the field at any given time. For the offense, there are 17 to 20 plays that are being played. I had to memorize for every position on the field. On the defense, there's four to seven plays that are typically being played at any given time. See, I'm starting to get obsessed. Anyway, so, so they said, it's time to send KJ. And so here I am, this 14-year-old boy. I had never touched a football, like held it in a football game before. I paved paths for someone else to take the ball because someone else was 18 years old. And that someone else should take the ball. Someone who's 14 hasn't any business playing varsity football. But it was time to send KJ. We were back on the fort. 10-yard line. I felt so unprepared, so in, uh, unequipped, and it, we were in a power eye. I can still remember this. And I was shaking. I was like, oh God, please help me that I don't drop the ball. That was my prayer. I didn't want to drop the ball. Don't drop the ball. Don't drop the ball. And I thought, I know this. I didn't think I've got this. I didn't think I'm built for this. I thought, I know this. I know what everyone's doing because that's how I'm programmed. I know what everyone on this field is doing. There's a playbook for this. And so, so as soon as the quarterback got the ball and he turned the ball and he planted it in my stomach and I grabbed it and this big gap opened up between the guard and the center. And I thought, okay, if I'm playing Defense, I'm crashing in here. And I saw it all, and I'm like, I'm gonna, anyway, doesn't matter. I cut up and then I started going as fast as I could. And then in my head, I saw everyone playing out the things that I would expect them to play out. I scored a touchdown from that, that run. I, don't clap for that. There's no point in clapping, but thank you. But here's the thing. I played fullback from that point on because the power of playing fullback hadn't been how fast, how hard do you hit? How can you, like, it was, I could predict the things that people are doing because I understood the playbook. I have found that my superpower is I understand the playbook. 
I can see behind the scenes. I, I get it. There's something about how important that all the dots connect. This idea of being sent, how he is sent, is your purpose in being born. That connects. There's something there that speaks inside that, that the thing that you are and the person that God has built you and breathed into you, the breath that you have that is his image, there is value in it that everyone is dying to experience you. But if you aren't present, no one's gonna experience you, including yourself. There is this beautiful thing of planting your garden in the place that you are and praying for the prosperity of the people around you. Because if they prosper, so do you. And there's something about being people who pray and fight for peace. And there's something about having a bigger picture perspective that what you bring is exceedingly valuable and very temporary, similar to a crumble cookie going to the Amazon driver, and it was yours. You're welcome. What would it be like for our church, for us, for you, to be sent as he had been sent to a place he didn't belong, but practicing this profound hospitality to crash his kingdom into somebody else's house and say, I think you want this because that's the good news. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be sent. It's time to send Christ Community Church. Whew. Put us in the game. Lord, thank you for the things that you're showing us and for the things you're teaching us. Thank you for, for the heart that you have for our stories for the valuable things that are beating inside of our chest that people are dying to partake in. Help us see the value and presence in the place we are in now. Open our eyes to see the people that have been unseen by us. God, I pray against the idea of fear because it's a very tiny thing that should not exist here. God, I pray authority. I pray power. I pray confidence. I pray joy. I pray generosity. I pray excitement and I pray hope. I pray love. I pray empowerment. I pray your church alive, excited, and doing things that are fun, testify to your glory, bring your kingdom, are incarnate. Jesus, thank you for all of us here and the things you are doing inside of us that are bursting to bring hope, joy, love, and peace. Thank you, Jesus. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we want to let you know, like, if, if there was something that stirred in your heart in this message or you were moved or maybe there's something going on in your life and you're like, man, I just, I need to talk to somebody. Uh, we want 
to be that somebody for you. Yes. And so we want to encourage you, head over to our website or to our Facebook page. We've actually got this really cool feature oh, where people button. can click chat. Mm -hmm. And within minutes, somebody, one of the pastors at our church. It's probably you or it, I, it, too. <laughs> we will get back to you. Uh, you know, we don't want this just to be this digital experience. We actually want to walk alongside of you and journey with you. Uh, so, again, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week.